Ephesians 6, 10 to 16, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Well, thank you so much for reading for us, Rob. And the kids already did a very uh, great job of reading that passage for us as well. So uh, if you can keep it open... Um, we'll, uh, we'll be looking at that together, particularly the shield of faith is our theme today, and uh, we're going to be looking at that in light of the rest of Ephesians. But before we do that, let's pause and ask God to help us. Let's pray. Um, Father God, we thank you that uh, you tell us that in Christ you've given us uh, all that we need for life and godliness, uh, that in him you equip us for uh, whatever it is that, that we face in life, which indeed itself is under your sovereign control. And so we pray now that by your spirit, through your word, you would, uh, you would give us what we need, strengthen us, uh, strengthen our faith, build up our faith through your word, even now. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have been following the news of the wildfires in, uh, in Hawaii, in Maui. Um, it has been a very sad situation. Um, whole towns, whole villages uh, burned to the ground. Uh, many people uh, still remain unaccounted for, and we should continue to pray for those who have lost homes and loved ones, and uh, even those who are uncertain uh, about the destiny of their families. Uh, I did see, though, one incredible scene in all of the news coverage. It's possible that you saw it, too. Uh, there was one house that mysteriously survived. Uh, you see the photos, and it looks almost like an oasis amid a sea of blackness and destruction. Now, apparently, there was nothing particularly special about that house. It was over 100 years old and was completely wood construction. And yet, somehow, it managed to be spared uh, all of that devastation. And now, as I saw that scene, I thought, in some sense, that is a picture of the Christian, or in some sense, it's a picture of, it should be a picture of the Christian. Uh, thankfully, most of us are not wrestling wildfires, but most of us do face all kinds of challenges in life. And amid those challenges, the scriptures tell us that there is a bigger threat going on. All of us are engaged in a spiritual battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, writes Paul in Ephesians 6, 12, but rather against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. How important to remember that at the start of a new school year. And uh, our school starts this week, as I said at the beginning, for many of our younger members. Uh, or maybe you've arrived here because uh, summer break is over and you're here for college. 
Uh, There are a lot of things that perhaps are on our minds this week. Uh, Are we ready for school to start? Do we have everything that we need? Uh, Most of us get a supplies list and you want to make sure, do I have everything on this supplies list? Am I prepared? Uh, Well, writes Paul, uh, we need to be ready and prepared for spiritual conflict too. And in in Ephesians 6, uh, Paul provides us with a kind of spiritual supplies list. Uh, He lays out the armor of God and draws on various themes that he's already developed earlier in this letter. Uh, Firstly, he says, put on the belt of truth, uh, by which he means seek to cultivate true belief, develop a Christian worldview. And secondly, put on the breastplate of righteousness. That is, it doesn't only matter what you believe, it matters how you behave. We need to live out the truth of the gospel. But thirdly, he says, take as shoes for your feet the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Uh, We saw a couple of weeks ago how Jesus has achieved peace for us, and so now we should pursue peace with one another. Uh, And also, we should proclaim peace to a world that desperately needs it. But that brings us to the fourth item of the armor of God, and that's what we're looking at today. Uh, Look down with me once again at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. How do we remain standing like that house amid the wildfires of life? How do we deal with the fact that the devil is prowling around like a lion seeking to devour us? How can we be prepared as we head into a a new school year for a year so full of unknowns? Maybe we're excited, maybe we're a bit nervous, Uh, but the answer we're given here is we need to take up the shield of faith. Uh, Take up the shield of faith, but but what does that mean? Uh, How do we grow in faith, and why is faith so important? Uh, To answer those questions, we need to look at what Paul has already said about faith in this letter. As with the other items of armor like truth or peace, Paul has addressed this idea of faith before. The word faith and its root occurs 12 times in Ephesians. And as I try to summarize what Paul says about faith, let me give you something of a definition. In Ephesians, we see that faith means this. It means a rational and relational reliance on Christ for our salvation and our safety. It is a rational and relational reliance on Christ for our salvation and for our safety. And now let me unpack uh, what I mean by that. Uh, And as we do, we're going to do so in two main parts. Uh, Firstly, we'll think about the nature of faith. Uh, That is, it is a rational and relational reliance on Christ. It's a rational uh, rational and relational reliance on Christ. I'm tying myself up with this alliteration. I don't know why I'm so committed to it, but... It's a rational and relational reliance on Christ. But secondly, we'll think about the necessity of faith, not just the nature of faith, but the necessity of faith. Uh, Since faith is the only way to experience salvation and also uh, to experience real safety. Uh, So firstly, in terms of the nature of faith, let's reflect on the fact that faith is rational. It's rational. And immediately that might seem like an odd phrase to you. So what do I mean by that when I say that faith is rational? Well, I mean that faith involves using our minds. Or or we could put it this way, faith always includes some kind of content. Uh, To believe in something, you have to know what it is. To have faith in Jesus Christ, you have to know something about him. And now that might seem like an obvious point, but I think it still needs to be said. Because many people use this word faith in another way, uh, almost as if faith is the opposite of using our brains. Now, for some people, faith describes some sort of, uh, of warm, fuzzy religious feeling. 
it, it is somewhat mindless as well. It, it's just a sense that everything is going to be okay. Don't worry, people say, just keep the faith, but, but what does that mean? Uh, just convince ourselves that everything will work out even when everything around us seems to suggest the opposite? Well, this isn't what the Bible means by faith. Faith is not the power of positive thinking. No, faith involves convictions. It means hearing certain facts and believing that they're true. And in fact, this is exactly what happened in the city of Ephesus. Uh, the people in this town didn't used to know anything about the God of the Bible. But then one day, as they were going about their business, Paul, the Apostle Paul, showed up and he preached the gospel. He explained how they were created and loved by God, and yet how despite his love for them, they had rebelled against him. He describes how the one true God has sent his son into the world to forgive them of their sin. And so what they needed to do was turn away from their false gods, their idols, and serve the living and true God. Uh, and if they did, in Christ they could find every spiritual blessing. And Paul preached this truth, the historical truth, the facts uh, about Jesus. Uh, and look at what happened there in chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, this is where we see that word faith. In him, chapter 1, verse 13, in him that is in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And now what that implies is this, to have faith to believe begins with hearing certain things. Uh, and only after hearing these claims, uh, these claims, can we have faith in them. Uh, only if we know them can we come to believe. Uh, and so we find that faith always has this mental, intellectual, rational component. Uh, and that is why over the years, I have to say, I've been, I've been a bit disturbed. I mean, I've been to countless events, cru crusades, campaigns, uh, evangelistic missions where people are invited to come to Christ. Uh, and yet the problem is very often, very little content is given on, on who Christ is and, and what he came to do for them. Why should we trust in Christ? Why should it matter? Why should we believe? Instead, so often people are whipped up into an emotional frenzy with good music, and the sermon sometimes is, is a little bit uh, more like a motivational TED talk. And this should disturb us. Why? Because faith is rational. Faith involves hearing and knowing God's truth. Faith in me means embracing God's truth as the truth. It means changing our minds. It means surrendering our previous false opinions. And that is why this word appears in Ephesians with the definite article as well. It is not just faith, but the faith. As we read in Ephesians 5, uh, sorry, Ephesians 4 verse 5, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Uh, what does Paul mean by one faith? It's not that everyone believes at the same time, one, two, three, believe. No, the point is they all believe the same thing, the same fundamental body of information. In Jude, uh, the author Jude writes about the faith once for all delivered to the saints, a faith that is unchanged and untouched by time. Uh, faith is, is rational. That's the point I'm making. Uh, faith is rational. It involves using our minds. Uh, and before we move on, I think we have to say that suggests something about the f way that faith grows, doesn't it? I mean, maybe you're here today and you're somebody who is a young Christian uh, and you feel like, I I'm not sure I'm particularly strong in my faith. Or maybe you've been a Christian for many, many years, but at the present time you're having certain doubts, you're going through certain challenges, and those challenges are causing you to question. 
Uh, When Paul speaks of taking up the shield of faith, this is what you think. Well, you think, look, my faith is so small, I'm not even sure it's going to provide any kind of shelter against the enemy. We don't have faith to move mountains. We sang about that, didn't we? In fact, perhaps you're not even sure your faith can move molehills. But if what I've said is true, how can we grow in faith? Well, maybe an illustration will help. Uh, to mix metaphors here, faith is like a fire. I mean, the, Satan's, art, Satan's darts are compared to a fire here, fiery darts. But, but faith is like a fire in this sense. Uh, if it's a fire in this sense uh, that sometimes faith can feel like it's down to the embers. But when that is the case, uh, what does a fire need? Well, it needs a few things, but one of the main things is fuel, isn't it? You need to add a few more logs to the fire. And so what is fuel for faith? Well, if faith is rational, well, uh, the fuel for faith is truth. Uh, God's truth. The word of truth, as Paul writes. Uh, The word of truth that we find here in the scriptures. As Paul writes in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, What your faith needs more than anything is to be fed with, with the fodder provided in scripture. And I think this is a mistake some people make. They think their faith is going to grow in different ways, perhaps even grow in a vacuum. They think their faith will grow if they can just get out into nature or if they can try some mindfulness or some meditation or something. But there's no way to grow in faith that is irrational. No, we don't grow in faith just through some sort of encounter with God or some sort of mystical experience. Uh, That's often what we pursue, and when it doesn't work, we either give up or we go chasing a more dramatic experience. Uh, But thankfully, growing in faith is much simpler than that. In fact, all we need is to fuel our faith with the Scriptures. And we need to hear God's Word together here on Sunday morning. Uh, We need to read God's Word alone. We need to gather with one another to speak God's Word after the service or or during a growth group. Uh, This is how faith grows strong. Why? Well, because faith involves using our brain Truth is not the enemy of faith. No, truth is fodder for faith. If you want to grow in your faith, read some theology. Read the Bible. Learn about God. And then you'll understand why it is faith in him is warranted. In fact, just to demonstrate I'm not making this up, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And look at what Paul prays for his readers in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 And this is how Paul prays. He says this, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And now we'll come back to that in a moment and what it tells us about why faith is so important. But but what does that mean? What does faith mean for Paul? Uh, Does Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith mean having some sort of mystical, heavenly experience of God? No, it means this. He tells us in verse 17 that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. You see those words, comprehend and know. In fact, they encourage us to look at it this way. We could say faith grows as faith knows Faith grows as faith knows. Faith is a fundamentally rational thing. Faith grows as we come to know the truth about God. 
It is a rational, a rational and relational reliance on Christ. Faith is rational. Can you understand the point I'm making there? We need to fuel faith by feeding our brains with truth. But, but faith is more than that. Faith is also relational. It's a relational thing. It is relational trust. And by which I mean the Bible never actually encourages us to place our faith in a set of facts. Uh, no, instead, we're encouraged to faith, place our faith in a person. Uh, having word, heard the word of the truth, the gospel, what did the Ephesians do? Well, they believed in him. That is, they believed in Christ. Or as we read in chapter 1, verse 15, uh, they had faith in the Lord Jesus. And now in seeking to explain faith, theologians over the years have discussed the various elements of faith. Uh, and uh, one of the most common descriptions of the nature of faith includes these three elements. It includes knowledge, assent, and trust. And now that first word, uh, knowledge, simply means knowing certain things about Christ, as we've already said. Uh, and faith also includes assent. That is, you don't just have to know them, you have to believe they're true as well. You have to agree with them and recognize them. Uh, but faith is more than that as well, isn't it? That is the rational aspect of faith, we could say. But uh, as James writes, even the devil believes these things and shudders. Uh, and so faith is knowledge, assent, and it is also trust. And trust is a relational thing, isn't it? For example, I might believe you're real. I might believe you exist. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I trust you, does it? It doesn't mean I trust you to drive my car or to cook me dinner. Or maybe I'm going to avoid the thing that you cooked at the picnic later. In other words, it, it, just because I know you exist and believe you exist doesn't mean that I believe in you. Uh, to believe in someone means to entrust yourselves to that person, uh, and so it is with God. In fact, faith is like a relational glue between us and God, we could say, a glue that is a gift from God himself. It is a means that God uses. In fact, Ephesians says some pretty amazing things about faith. It describes this, this glue of faith in two ways. Uh, firstly, it tells us that, that it is by faith that we are connected to God. By faith, the door is opened up for us to come to him. In Ephesians 3 verse 12, this is what we're told. Ephesians 3 verse 12, that in Christ we have boldness and access with confidence. How? Well, through our faith in him. Uh, but secondly, not only does faith connect us with God, it connects God with us in a special way as well. Uh, by faith, we can come into God's presence, but by faith, God comes into us. By faith, he dwells within us. Listen to those words from Ephesians chapter 3 again, uh, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, faith unites us to Christ in an intimate, personal, and spiritual way. It is through faith that we become in him, united to him, and obtain every spiritual blessing. Uh, this relationship involves more than just knowing that Jesus exists or, or believing what the Bible says. It involves knowing him. It involves trusting him. It, it involves relying on him. In, in one sense, it, that means that our faith in Christ is like a marriage. And now when you get married to somebody, you hope, uh, at the very least, that you know them to some extent. You hope that you know something about them, and therefore marriage is rational. You have to use your mind. You have to think carefully about the other person, their character, who they are, what they love, what they're like. But knowing another person doesn't mean you're married to them, does it? No, it certainly involves more than that. You need a relationship with that other person. 
a relationship that normally develops over time. Uh, because marriage is fundamentally a relational thing. Uh, when you get married, you place a great deal of trust in the other person, don't you? You entrust your heart to them. You place your faith in them, you could say. You trust them to keep their promises to you. And not that you trust them to be your savior, no, but you trust them to keep their promises to you as your husband or as your wife. And in the same way, this is what it means to have faith. This is the nature of faith. It is to know, believe, and trust in Jesus Christ. And once again, knowing this relational aspect of faith helps us understand how faith grows. I mean, how does faith grow? I mean, we've already said faith is, is rational, and so we grow in faith by reading our Bibles. But if we understand this second point, that, that faith is relational, we'll understand that, that just reading our Bibles is not enough. In fact, this explains, I think, a very common phenomenon that I've experienced over the years. I've met Christians who know their Bible very well indeed, but, but who don't seem to have much faith at all. In fact, maybe this is your own experience. Maybe you know the Bible really well. Maybe you've even memorized huge chunks of it. Uh, but faith, your faith, isn't particularly strong. Why? Because uh, perhaps in, in learning, in reading, in knowing so much, you have missed this, this relational element. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean a couple of things. Firstly, uh, I mean that maybe you've been reading your Bible wrong. Uh, not that you've been misunderstanding it necessarily. Uh, but you've been reading the Bible in a purely rational way just to discover certain facts. When you read it, when you discuss it, when you consider sermons, you just simply want to take notes. You consider it just kind of a download of information that's somehow distant. When you read the Bible, when you discuss it with others, when you listen to sermons, it's not as if you really expect God to speak to you personally. You read the Bible to extract lessons for life about marriage, about parenting, about theological truths, but you aren't really listening to God. You aren't really hanging on every word that he says to you. In fact, maybe you aren't really reading the Bible at all anymore. But why are you not reading the Bible? Because you've already read it. You know what it says. But to miss the point, that is to miss the point, isn't it? It is to miss what the Bible is. To approach the Bible in that way is to be like a, a husband that I heard about several years ago. Uh, he and his wife were in counseling. I've used this illustration before, but uh, they were in counseling together, and, and this was her complaint. Uh, you never tell me that you love me, she said. What, he replied? I told you when we got married 20 years ago. Now, maybe that hits close to home in your marriage. I don't know. Uh, we laugh, but, but sometimes this is how we expect the Bible to work in our lives, isn't it? We read the Bible 20 years ago, uh, and so we expect somehow it's going to stick. But the truth is, that's not how our lives work. No, we need to hear God's I love you every day, don't we? Uh, and it isn't because God is failing to say it that we don't hear. It, it actually, it's because we don't listen. Uh, he speaks again and again in his word, uh, but we don't listen, we don't read it, we don't listen to it in a way that is relational. Uh, to use the fire analogy, you can't just put wood on the fire yesterday and, and expect that the fire is going to burn today. Uh, reading the Bible is not just an educational thing. Listening to sermons is not just an educational thing. Growth group Bible studies aren't just an educational thing. All of these things are relational things. Uh, through these things, Christ speaks to us again and again in a personal way. And our faith grows as we listen to him. That's the point. Uh, but this relational aspect of faith also highlights something else that's vital. 
Uh, surely it underscores for us the importance of prayer as well. I mean, in a few weeks, we're going to specifically focus on that in verses 18 through 20. But for now, we have to say prayer is absolutely essential, isn't it? If the Bible is God speaking to us, what is prayer? Well, well, prayer is our reply to him. And we can't really claim to have a relationship with God and never pray, can we? In fact, according to John Calvin, prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Prayer is faith speaking. If the word of God is like fuel for faith, what is prayer? Well, prayer is, is really like oxygen. But without it, faith is never going to ignite. Faith is never going to burn. And that is because faith is, yes, a rational thing, but it's also a relational thing. And actually, both of those things come together on our knees before God. We turn to God and we say, Lord, I know this is true. I know that you've promised this. And so now, through Christ, please step in. Please save me. Please, please do something. And as we learn to depend on God in that way, we find that our faith grows. And prayer plays such a vital role in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I mean, we said this in the previous weeks, but not only does Paul write to the Ephesian Christians, but he prays for them. In fact, two of his prayers for them, he even writes down within this letter. And one of the key things he prays is this. He prays for their faith to grow. Uh, by which I mean, he wants them to come to a greater, deeper, rational and relational reliance on Jesus Christ. And that is because of what faith is. It is a rational and relational reliance on Jesus Christ. Uh, but we have to then ask, what is this rational and relational reliance on Christ for? Uh, we've thought about the nature of faith. It is, it's rational. It's, it's a relational reliance of Christ. But, but let's think about the necessity of faith. Why is faith so important? Now, I mean, faith is important. It's really important. In fact, back in Ephesians chapter 6, this is interesting to note, um, we are to put on the whole armor of God, every piece. But in, in one sense, when you look very closely, you notice that Paul actually makes faith something of a priority. Now look down at Ephesians 6, verse 16 again, and hopefully you'll see what I mean here. Uh, Paul says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Uh, and I have to hesitate when I say this, but I, I'm not even sure that's perhaps the best translation. Uh, what the text literally says is this, in all, take up the shield of faith. In all. In all things. Does that mean in all circumstances? Yes, it includes that, but I think it, it means a little bit more. In fact, I think it means that we need to prioritize faith, even as we take up the other items of the armor of God. Uh, one translation even puts it this way. It says, above all, take up the shield of faith. Above all, they take up the shield of faith. And in one sense, maybe this is why faith is like a shield. What does a shield do? Well, in one sense, it protects all of the other pieces of armor. If the shield is strong, well, those arrows are not getting through. And in the same way, faith is absolutely essential in every part of the Christian life. And it is essential in two ways. First, it's, it's necessary for salvation. Without faith, you're not a Christian. That's what the scriptures say. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, in this verse, Paul is explaining how it is that we're reconciled to God. He's describing here how it is we pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. Uh, how we cease to be children of wrath destined for hell and how we, we become citizens of heaven and, and children of God. Uh, and this is how, this is how we experience that salvation in Christ. He says this in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Uh, and even this faith, he says, is a gift of God. 
And salvation begins when we come to trust in Christ, when we lean on him, when we hear the word of truth and believe. Only when we come to rely on Christ alone for salvation do we experience new life from God. And that is why in the Bible, faith is so often opposed to works. In fact, as the verse continues, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. It is not a result of works, he says, so that no one may boast. Uh, To rely on works is to rely on ourselves. It is to come to God believing that he loves us because of something about us. It is to come to God believing that there is something special about us. Uh, Perhaps something we do, the fact that we give, the fact that we go to church. But to put our faith in Christ is to rely on him. In fact, it is to transfer our alliance away from ourselves. It is to transfer our reliance away from something about us and, and to rely wholly on him. And this is essential for each of us to understand, isn't it? Because it's possible to sit here in church for years and, and not quite to get this. And not quite to understand that we aren't saved by our works, by anything we do, but only by Christ. In fact, maybe you even think you're saved because you know all of this. But knowing it all doesn't save you. No, you have to relationally trust in Christ for yourself. Her faith is a rational and relational reliance on Christ for salvation. And if you've never done that, well, well, do it now, or at least to follow on from what I've said earlier, at the very least, seek out some more information. Her faith comes by hearing the word of God. And faith grows as it's fanned into flame through prayer. And so read the Bible, read the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John, uh, find something to read, and and even as you read it, ask God uh, to set your faith aflame. Uh, But at the same time, not only is faith necessary for salvation, that's obviously a key point, but but that's not really the focus here in Ephesians. Uh, Faith is also necessary for our safety. That's what we see here, that's the primary point of Ephesians 6. In fact, he tells us why faith is so important, doesn't he? Look down at verse 16 again. He says this, In all circumstances, in all things, above all, take up the shield of faith. Why? Well, we'll need it to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I remember the point we've been making all along. As Christians, we're embroiled in war, but our battle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, The enemy we face is not an army of men. No, it's against uh, rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of darkness. It's against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so this idea of the shield of faith reminds us of something very, very important. It reminds us that the only way to stand firm in that battle is by God's strength. Uh, And this is why we must take up the shield of faith above all. Uh, Whether we speak of truth or righteousness or or the gospel of peace, all of this depends on trusting God, doesn't it? Uh, Trusting God is key. Uh, Without faith, we could say every single item of the armor would be worse than useless. Uh, Because the very whole point is to call us to rely on God. Uh, But this highlights the temptation, doesn't it? In fact, this is one of the very attacks of the enemy. Uh, we can come to rely on these things rather than God. Uh, and I think to do this is a very, very big mistake. Uh, because without faith, uh, each of these things can be counterproductive. Let me give you an example. We said we need to take up the belt of truth. That means cultivating true beliefs. Uh, and listen, it, it's quite possible to develop a Christian worldview, to develop a commitment to true beliefs, but to do so without any sense at all of dependence on God himself. Just read the right books. Read the right books to your kids. 
uh, take a class in, in cultural apologetics or something. Memorize the shorter catechism, and all, of course, uh, these things are really good to do. But can you see how it's possible to do these things without faith? Uh, can you see why you might be tempted to do these things and, and automatically somehow to expect the right results? As if all of it depends on us doing the right thing. And in the same way, we could say the same of the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, we could somehow take that up without faith. In other words, we could begin to rely on our own good works, our own good behavior to protect us. Uh, we can take all kinds of steps to avoid temptation, setting up safeguards in our lives or perhaps on our computers, on our devices. Uh, and these kinds of things are necessary. Uh, but, but how often do they sort of twist and, and go wrong? Uh, they become a legalistic kind of dependence that we have. We trust these rather than trusting God. Uh, we trust these things to protect us uh, rather than trusting Jesus. We forget to pray the prayer that the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, that we pray every week, that we need to ask God to lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. Uh, we could even say the same thing of the gospel of peace. There are many people who pursue peace, even people who proclaim peace, but who do so trusting in themselves rather than relying on God. In fact, this is a horrifying thing that I've seen over the years, and I'm sure that if you're an older Christian, you've seen it too. Uh, you've seen how it's possible to be a well-taught, upright Christian, a Christian who is an active member of the church, a Christian who is passionately engaged in evangelism, but who over the years falls away and no longer walks with God. Now, why does that happen? Well, no doubt there are all kinds of reasons for that. But don't you often ask yourself, what's the difference between, between me and them? And ultimately, we have to say the only difference is the grace of God. In fact, the only reason I'm a Christian now is because moment by moment, God is protecting me. God is sustaining me. Because we desperately need him to protect us. We desperately need him to protect us from Satan's fiery darts. And I wonder if maybe the very first thing that our fallen brothers and sisters have lost is this, was their sense of need for that, their sense of desperate dependence upon God. And maybe they came to believe they could keep themselves safe, that if only they read the right books, if only they lived the right way, if only they were engaged enough in evangelism, they would be okay. And they'd fail to take up the shield of faith, we might say, they fail to rely on God. And so they let their guard down, we might say. And they failed, as we often fail, all of us often fail, to constantly and unconsciously rely on God moment by moment. And we need to daily rely on Christ alone for salvation. And we also need to daily rely on Christ for spiritual safety. And so to come back to where we started... Maybe you're starting a new class or starting a new school or starting a new job. Maybe not, but maybe life can sometimes feel, sometimes feel like wrestling wildfires. Either way, no matter what we're facing this week or this month or in the years ahead, the good news is we don't have to face it alone. Take up the shield of faith, writes Paul. That is to say, face life with a rational and relational reliance on Christ for salvation and for safety. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, for the great gifts you've given us, and thank you for the gift of faith, a gift that comes from you. And Lord, 
we pray that you might grant that gift to those uh, amongst us who don't yet believe in Christ. Open their hearts. Uh, cause them to, to rely on Christ alone for salvation. And for, for those of us that do uh, trust in Christ, Lord, grow our faith, strengthen us. Lord, help our minds become full of the truth of your word and help our, our hearts respond with faith and obedience. Lord, grow us in our reliance and dependence on you. Lord, we confess that so often we don't trust you, we trust ourselves, and so we pray. Uh, Lord, as we go into this new school year, help us. Help us take up the shield of faith and rely on you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.